This morning we are in the Minor Prophets, uh, often what we're calling the Book of the Twelve. There are twelve prophets in the Old Testament that sort of are considered in a lot of Christian and Jewish history as, as one set of prophets. And uh, last week I did a lengthy intro to prophecy and Old Testament history, and um, I'm sort of assuming some of that knowledge as I jump in here. If you missed that sermon, it's online, and I would encourage you to catch that one because uh, it sets the stage a little bit for this. What prophets really did, and I developed this at length last week, prophets really didn't do a lot of future telling. That's what we think of as prophets. We think of future telling and we think of social justice issues. Um, that's where we use the word prophet. But the prophets, um, that's not really their focus. They do those things sometimes. But the focus of prophecy is really worldview. It's it's considering the way people see the world and is the way we're acting and the way we're seeing the world true to the way God designed and rules the world or not. And the prophets want to say there are some ways we need to change our thinking. They normally rise up in very particular uh, historical context. So as we look at the book of Hosea today, and you can turn there in the Old Testament if you want, we're going to be reading through different parts of Hosea Um, Hosea is writing to a particular time. We need to also understand, as we get into Hosea, that the Bible uh, is sometimes offensive to us. The Bible does not have the sentiments that we have about how you talk about things and how things happen. Uh, Hosea was writing um, about 3,750 years ago, or 2,750 years ago. So, So think about that. Did, did people think at all like we think today about a lot of stuff? No. In fact, our great-grandparents didn't think the way we think about a lot of stuff today. Political correctness and a lot of stuff is very new. And uh, the prophets don't have any sense of political correctness. So, um, But even though our, our sentiments about how we say stuff or what we might talk about might change, people haven't changed all that much. And I think as we get into the prophets, that's the point you want to see. But you've got to be a little open-minded as we get into this. We don't know very much about Hosea. Uh, we know that he prophesied from the kings, he says in the beginning. We know he prophesied for a while, maybe 50 to 80 years he was prophesying and had this ministry. Um, somewhere between 750 to 723 B.C., we know he was prophesying. Hosea means salvation. I mean, Hosea is the same basic Hebrew word as Joshua and Jesus. They're all the basic Hebrew words the same. It's just how you put the vowels are different. Um, we call them Hosea because in English they wanted to distinguish between Joshua, Jesus, and Hosea. But really, same name. Means salvation. He prophesies in the northern kingdom. So we talked about this last week. The kingdom of Israel for a long time after they got kings were divided. And the north is often called Israel and the south is often called Judah. And Hosea is preaching in the north. Okay, um, He's preaching right before they fall to the Assyrian Empire in 721 B.C. So right after Hosea, maybe while Hosea is still alive... The Assyrians come down and uh, really destroy the northern part of Israel, the the nation at that time called Israel, and carried them off into slavery. And so Hosea is prophesying and he's foreseeing some of this stuff taking place. Um, 
Hosea may have fled to the south, or maybe some of his followers took some of his writing to the south, because if he'd have stayed in the north, or his teachings in the north, we probably would have lost them. Um, some of the stuff that made it to Judah, we ended up keeping. Jeroboam II is the king at this time. Um, he's not a good king, um, but it is a time of prosperity. Okay? Things are going pretty well. It's pretty peaceful at this time. It's a little bit unstable, but relatively peaceful. And so people have this tendency when things are going all right to think that things are all right. right? Do you ever get trapped in that? There's nothing really wrong right now, so everything must be okay. Well, sometimes stuff is wrong. And you're just not experiencing the consequences of it right now. But you might hear shortly. There is an economic gap. There's a, the rich and the poor, and the gap is, is getting farther apart. The poor is being mistreated. Um, public morality is not really happening. I mean, they, they, people are willing to do whatever in the culture. There's not a lot of rules. There's not a lot of morals. And uh, a lot of the courts and a lot of the officials seem pretty corrupt. This doesn't sound like us at all, right? Um, so it's, it's relatively peaceful. But, but Hosea looks at this and said, there's a serious problem. Now, the other serious problem going on is the worship of Baal or Baal. You can say it kind of either way. It's really Baal in the Hebrew. Baal was the Canaanite god of fertility. And it, this was the god you went to when you wanted children, when you wanted crops, when you wanted livestock. And uh, often, as part of the worship of Baal, there was prostitution. Now, uh, we made this change a little while ago to have our kids kind of stay in the church. So I got to explain this just a little bit in my kid kind of terms, although they're not listening all that much. Um, God intends marriage to be based on love and based on covenant. Okay, marriage is supposed to be two people that are based, that love each other and that aren't forced to be there, that choose to be there, and they're there in covenant, which means I promise some things and you promise some things. Covenant is not the same as contract, right? Contract, you break the contract, I'm out of here. You have to do your part, I have to do my part. Covenant's not like that. Covenant is a promise that two people make together. That's the way God intends marriage to be, uh, but marriage doesn't always happen like that, right? Sometimes people are unfaithful to marriage. Uh, sometimes they sort of sell out, and instead of doing relationships based on love and covenant, they end up making relationships based on transaction, right? They trade love, and instead of having love and based on commitment, they're based on what they get out of the relationship. Sometimes that's money, sometimes that's trade, um, but they act like they're in love when really um, that's not what it, the relationship is based on. And often you do that with multiple people, even making a living doing that, right? Sometimes even leading to slavery. This happens, by the way. Um, you can look up a lady named Amy Carmichael, who uh, just in the last... Um, little uh, the last few uh, in the last century was in India helping rescue children who got caught up in temple prostitution uh, and ended up being slaves to that. Uh, that's, that's actually not that far off of a thing, believe it or not. And so this became a part of the worship of the fertility God Baal. You want to worship God, the God Baal. You want new life. You want children. You participate in this kind of act as part of the worship experience. Uh, sounds very strange to us, but that's the time they lived in, and that's the way the worship was. And here's the problem for Israel. Israel tended to see God, and, and at first we think they started borrowing the idea of Baal 
for God, right? God is a God of fertility, right? He gave them a land full of milk and honey. He gave them children. He blessed the land. He blessed uh, their flocks. Um, there is, a, in a way, God is in part a God of fertility. And so they said, well, why don't we borrow this Canaanite name for God, Baal, and we'll call our God Baal too. The problem is God is not Baal, and God would not condone the kind of worship that Baal gets But Israel starts mixing the two, right? And so they start worshiping God and Baal. And they start worshiping God in the way you would worship Baal. And in fact, they start in in Hosea's terms, as we'll see, prostituting themselves. They start selling out to a different husband. They're selling out to a different God. So here we are. We're in Hosea chapter 1. As Hosea is going to live his life as a critique of this God of fertility. Uh, with an example of fertility. So I'm starting um, in uh, verse 2, I think, here. When the Lord, Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of prostitution and have children of prostitution. For the land commits great prostitution by forsaking God. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of, of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, if you're following around in the t- text, you're going to notice that the word is not prostitution, right? It's actually a little bit harsher word. Um, but that word is a word that was not as derogatory as we use it today. Um, but I'm changing it because we got our kids in here. And uh, it just it was not as strong a word as it is today when it was translated that way. So, so he meets Gomer, marries her, she conceives bore him a son. The Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. To forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword. Or by war or by horse or by horsemen. When she weaned no mercy. She conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to him. Call his name not my people. For you are not my people. And I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel. Shall be like the sand on the sea. Which cannot be measured or numbered. And in that place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, and great shall be the day of Jezreel. So God tells Hosea to do this really weird thing, and this is something that happens in the prophets. Sometimes the prophets are asked to experience what Israel's going through in some way in their lives. This is not really an indictment on prostitution. The Bible has some strong language to use about prostitution, but it's also uh, has the prostitutes that do some very great things, right? Several of Jesus' friends are of that profession. We remember Rahab, who saves Israel when they're trying to spy on the land and ends up being a relative of Jesus. No, the indictment really here is of Israel. The idea is Israel has prostituted themselves. They've sold themselves out. Okay? They've looked for a God of fertility instead of looking to the one true God. They've sold out. 
just as Gomer ends up in slavery because of what she's into, uh, so too Israel is going to go through the same thing. Gomer has a son, and they name him Jezreel. This is the only son, by the way, that the text is clear is Hosea's. The other ones, she bears the son. We're not sure whose they are. Jezreel is a valley in Israel. And uh, it's important because the king of, of whom the lineage is now in Israel, King Jehu, um, when he was anointed king, um, had this big uh, bloodshed there. He killed all of the people that followed the previous king, all of the family, all the rulers. There's major bloodshed in Jezreel. And the people at first are kind of excited as if he's going to get rid of the Baal worship that Jezebel and Ahab and Jehu and, and all these people were, uh, were following. But Jehu says right at the end, he kills all these people. Everybody's excited. He's going to finally purify the worship in Israel. And Jehu says, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. So his choice is not, oh, now I've got power. I'm not going to worship the one true God. I'm going to worship Baal even more. And so Hosea is naming this, and everybody remembers the bloodshed. They, they've heard of the stories of the bloodshed that happened there. And in fact, in 733, there's going to be a big battle there between Israel and Assyria. And uh, Israel's going to have major bloodshed there right after th- these prophecies. Gomer has another daughter named No Mercy, Lo Ruchamah. For God is not going to show mercy to his people. There's going to be something that's coming and they're not going to see mercy. They're going to have to go through the punishment. Then she has a son named not my people, Lo Ami. For God is not going to treat them as his people anymore. You can imagine the awkwardness of having your name be not my people. Um, But it used to be that you were named, all, all these Hebrew names are named after certain things. So uh, was it odd? Yeah, but they were also named this way. Hosea is named salvation, right? Um, You named like this, although this is an awkward name. Israel has been unfaithful to God. They've sold out. They prostituted themselves to God or to another God. And therefore, destruction is coming. And when the destruction at Jezreel comes, what is God prophesying through Hosea and his family? I'm not going to show any mercy and you are not going to be my people. You're going to have to go through this. Sounds tough. And we may have trouble with some of the imagery. Um, we may be a little bit offended by this. But it is also a powerful image. And believe me, Israel would not have missed it, right? You mean you're calling us what? You're saying we've done what? Hosea is using strong language in order to get a reaction out of Israel, right? You mean that we're prostitutes? We've sold out like that. But in Hosea, that's not the whole message. Listen in Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Speak tenderly to her. And I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There shall she answer in the days of of her youth as at a time when she came out of the land of Egypt. God's intention is not to have Israel go through this so that he totally abandons them. When they're in the wilderness, and you can see the comparison, right, of going into slavery versus wandering in the land, outside of the land of Israel in the wilderness with Moses. Jesus says, God says, I'm going to allure Israel. 
I'm going to use this to bring Israel back to me. And then the reference here is that of fertility, right? I'll speak tenderly to her and I'll give her vineyards, make her like she was in her youth. It's all actually this same line of imagery. And so Hosea shows God's action to undo what Israel has done. First, he's going to rename the children. From Hosea 2, verse 21 and following. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will show her for myself. I will show her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. The names are going to get changed. The reference is going to be different. God's going to take no mercy and he's going to show mercy. He's going to take not my people and he's going to win them back and he's going to make them his people again. How's he going to do that? Well, look in Hosea chapter 3. It's just a short little chapter. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. That was also part of the worship of Baal, was offering cakes of raisins and fruits that you would, you would mold into different shapes. So I, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of bar- barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the prostitute. Or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear of the Lord uh, and to his goodness in the latter days. Think about how striking this image is. If Israel is like like Gomer, right, who has prostituted herself and been adulterous, now she's left him, and she's had to go into slavery because of the lifestyle that she's chosen. Um, How amazing that God would say to Hosea, go buy her back. Go buy back the woman that's cheated on you. Go buy back the woman that's left you. Go buy back the woman that everybody in town knows has not been faithful to you. Go purchase her out of your own pocket and bring her back into your home as your wife again. This is such amazing, amazing grace that God is saying to Israel, I will buy you back. I will buy you back. You've been unfaithful to me. I'm going to be faithful to you. You're going to go through this, but I'm going to buy you back. We may be unsure about the situation that Hosea was put in, but we can't deny the amazing grace of this story, right? God uses this terrible family situation not only as an image of the unfaithfulness of Israel, but also of the wonderful grace and love of God who will buy back Israel from slavery and make them his people again despite their unfaithfulness. Despite their unfaithfulness, he's going to go and win them back. Now, this whole thing unfolds, right? Israel is taken off into slavery. Eventually, Judah uh, is, is taken the same way because they are not faithful to God. Eventually, they come back into the land, and they're able to, to rebuild the temple. They're, willing, they're able to start their, their lives over again. 
But here's the problem with Isaiah's prophecy. It never totally comes true. I mean, they they get the land back, but then eventually the Romans come to power. And so when Jesus comes on the scene uh, 750 years later, um, they're still not whole. They're still not complete. There's still a lot of problems. Um, We know that in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed and Israel is kicked out. And they don't come back to the land until 1948, right? This doesn't quite come true. So, So... what is Isaiah prophesying? Is it, does it not come true? Or is there something bigger going on? Well, I think there's some important things we need to think about um, that help us understand this. First of all, in Hosea 13, Hosea writes, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It's verse 4. No Savior. Hosea seems to think there's a saving aspect of God, right? That God is going to save them in some way. And this, this is going to be, involve a price, right? In the metaphor of Hosea. A savior that's coming. Now, listen to Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. And he has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. On the third day. What do you think when you think the third day he will raise us up? Easter, right? On the third day? What is Isaiah referring to? I'm not sure Isaiah is thinking about Jesus and thinking about the cross, but... But he's seeing this action of God somehow and he's led to the Spirit to write these words. On the third day, he will raise us up. Not just raise Jesus up. That we are raised up. That some of this saving, some of this buying back takes place when on the third day we are risen. Now, check this out in Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Hosea says, when, when Israel was a child, I, I, I brought him out of Egypt. Out of Egypt. Have you heard that phrase before? In the birth narrative of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 14, Joseph and, and Mary have taken Jesus to Egypt because the, the, the king is out to get him, right? And so um, now they're ready to come back. And an angel comes to the Lord, or comes to Joseph and says, all right, you can go back now. And so Joseph, verse 14, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Quoting Hosea here. Out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. So Matthew looks at Hosea. And that phrase, out of Egypt I called my son. And then he looks at what happens to Jesus when Jesus is in Egypt and calls out, is called back to Israel. And says, it, it, Jesus is in some way playing out what Hosea was referring to. Jesus is calm, coming back to Israel and he is setting things up to be right Peter and Paul use this imagery very specifically too. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, Once you are not a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, he's talking about the salvation of both the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, those who are not my people, he quotes Isaiah, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call, my, call beloved. And in the very place where it is that it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. See, Peter and Paul both look back and say, you know that? You know that moment where Israel's promised they're going to be his people? And you know that, that place where they're going to get mercy? Peter and Paul both say, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. In fact, you might call Hosea the first gospel. Hosea is the, really, the first gospel. It's the first time where we get this good news that something's coming, going to fix all these problems. And yes, sin is serious. And yes, Israel's going to have to go through the consequences of some of their sin. But God is going to show mercy. Now, we don't worship the God Baal. In fact, very few of you probably do a lot of temple worship, right? Uh, we just live in a different time. But I think we do sell out. I do think we look to other things beside God for fertility, for life, for growth, for happiness in our lives. Do we look to God to give us what we need and what we long for in life? Or do we find it in uh, sometimes our increases in life, our work, our bank accounts, our jobs, what our children think of us, what our parents think of us? Where do we find real, true life? Where is our God of fertility? Now, we might, we might be more sophisticated than we don't worship the Baals, but I'm convinced this is still a problem for us, that we cheat on God, that we sell out. Instead of being on a real relationship with God based on love and based on covenant, we end up worshiping God based on contract or to get what we want. And if God doesn't give us what we want, then we're going to go find what we want somewhere else instead of trusting God with what we want and what we need. Hosea might bother our modern sensibilities. He speaks in a particular way uh, to the decisions of Israel and I think has a lot to say about us too. And he has this amazing sense of grace in our lives. So let me conclude the way Hosea concludes his book in chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Let us pray. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to stop cheating on you and to really, really trust you for the things that bring us life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.